And a great golf. Good morning to you. Welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Reach beyond by Sea Palms Resort. Become a member at seapalms.com. By Club Car, the leader in sport, utility, and personal vehicles. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic. Giving back to our community. And by Bridgestone Golf. Get fit for your Tour B ball today. On the show, we're going to talk with Colton Dean of the GSGA about their adaptive golf program. In fact, their first one is going on today. Then we'll talk with Jeff Babinbo, former Golf Week writer, about covering the tour, including the recent PGA and Senior PGA Championships, plus his take on the LIV Tour versus the PGA Tour. And then next we'll talk with Georgia Southern's golf coach, Carter Collins. And Coach will talk about his team this past season and what's coming up for next season. But first up is Colton Dean, who... Uh, works with the Adaptive Golf Program from the with the GSGA. Colton, good morning and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Good morning. I appreciate you having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning. Well, it's always a pleasure to have uh, you with us. And uh, I am really a big fan of the Adaptive Golf Program. I've done some interviews with some of the folks up in Chicago. Um, tell us what's going on with the GSGA this weekend with your Adaptive Golf Program. Yeah, absolutely, Rich. Yeah, Adaptive Golf has really been growing across the nation, and uh, we've tried to help that effort here in Georgia. This weekend, we have our Georgia Adaptive Open. We have players from all over the country, uh, 14 different states, all different types wow. of disabilities here at Bobby Jones Golf Course in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm actually out on the course right now doing some setups. So if you hear some lawnmowers and that kind of thing, uh, that's that's the reason why. But, yeah, we, this is this weekend, today and tomorrow. You can follow all the action on gsga.org and all of our uh, social media channels as well. Well, you said there were uh, 14 different states. Uh, how many players? And uh, obviously this is the start of a big future for the adaptive program with the GSGA. Absolutely, yeah. We have, we have 30 players. Um, and, and again, yeah, they're from all over all over the country. Uh, we actually have a player from this originally from Ukraine. He's the number one one-arm golfer in the U.S. right now. Wow. Alex Flory is his name. Um, so there's just some incredible individuals out here as we look to continue to build our program. You know, I know a lot of guys that have trouble swinging with two arms, but seeing these players like the one you just mentioned with one arm, I mean, it is incredible how they're able to play the game and get through the ball and get distance along with that. Absolutely. I mean, there's several guys out here that are amputees, whether it be uh, leg amputees or arm amputees that will consistently shoot around even par, sometimes under par. So uh, it, it's you know it's a legit competition going on out here, and uh, we're looking forward to crowning a champion tomorrow afternoon. All right, how did these people qualify for the program for this weekend, or was it just a registration? Yeah, just through registration. Uh, there is a uh, association called the United States Adaptive Golf Alliance that keeps a ranking of U.S. players. So some of our qualifications okay. had to do with the rankings in their sport class, uh, which is what type of disability they are. And um, that, that's kind of how we selected the field. Uh, so that, that was our process for that. All right. Talk about the U.S. Adaptive Program coming up in Pinehurst in July. Uh, how many players are going to be there, and how do they qualify for that tournament? Absolutely, yeah. So the USGA has, has really been uh, doing a lot of research and, and efforts to learn about adaptive golf over the past several years, and it's culminated this year in their first U.S. Adaptive Open. So the USGA is going to conduct that at Pinehurst on course number 6, July 18 through 20. 
They have 96 players from all over the country, all over the globe. I know there's some players coming in from Japan and, and Canada and, oh, wow. and Europe. So it's going to be a great field of 96 players. That uh, that qualification was based on their handicap index. So whatever their nationally recognized handicap index was, uh, the top seven, five men and two women in each disability category got to go to Pioneers this year. I mean, it's just a fantastic program, and it's really been growing over the year. And you've got to give kudos to not only the adaptive golf program around the country, but also that you guys have recognized that this is a real program you need to be involved in. Um, it was probably very easy to say, let's do this, uh, but it is a program that is very worth doing. Absolutely. And, and you know, when this all started with, for the GSGA several years ago, uh, you know, as, as the Georgia State Golf Association, we feel that it's, it's our duty to serve the game of golf. And with uh, over, you know, there's several million golfers that, uh, that have disabilities, and we, we have to serve those individuals in Georgia. We have eight clinic sites right now. Uh, the closest ones uh, down there to you on the coast is going to be uh, Savannah or Valdosta. Um, so I would encourage anybody listening that uh, may have, you know, uh, an interest in the program, whether it's volunteering or participating, uh, to reach out to us at gsga.org, and we can get you connected to one of those clinic sites and, and keep this thing growing. And for the golfers that are out there that are uh, in the adaptive golf program, how would they find out more about what you're doing here with the GSGA? Yeah, any, anyone who's interested can reach out to me directly, obviously, uh, through, my, through my email, cdean, c-d-e-a-n, at gsga.org. Follow us on our socials. Uh, re just reach out to us here at, at, at the GSGA, and, and we, we'd be happy to talk to you and get you connected. Well, I think what you're doing is a fabulous program. Uh, it is much needed, and I'm sure it gives the people that are participating, the 30 this week, the 96 coming up in Pinehurst, uh, it just gives them an opportunity to do what everybody else is doing. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Colton, thank you for being with us. We appreciate it, and thanks for all the GSGA is doing for the Adaptive Golf Program, and uh, you have a great day, and watch out for those lawnmowers. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. It's a pleasure. We were talking with uh, Colton Dean, who's uh, working with the Adaptive Golf Program at the GSGA. Uh, just a great program. Next up is going to be former Golf Week writer Jeff Babenbow. We're going to talk about a variety of subjects. But speaking of subjects, do you look, are you looking for new clubs? Well, you might want to try the new Mizuno Irons 922, 923, and the 925s that will help improve your game. These new Mizuno irons will help you reach beyond. Add the new Mizuno driver, fairway metals, hybrids, and you're on your way to game improvement. And then try the new models of Mizuno putters, blade, mallet. Take a look at them and check out everything on MizunoGolf.com. Mizuno Golf, reach beyond. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Our next guest worked for Golf Week for over 19 years uh, and now writes for the PGA Tour. Uh, he is Jeff Babenbow, and good morning, Jeff. How are you? Morning, Rich. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, you just recently traveled to cover both the PGA and the Senior PGA Championship. Uh, tell us a little bit about and what uh, kind of stood out for you. Well, yeah, it was a, uh, a nice trip. I mean, I think we had a, a crazy Sunday at the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, a great venue. Uh, Justin Thomas coming from behind and and everybody wanting the Monday morning quarterback whether or not Mito Pereira should have hit driver on the last hole, which I think he should have, and he'd done it pretty well for 71 holes all week. So 
Yeah, certainly we got a great finish there. Then last week with the uh, KitchenAid PGA Seniors, you got a new star out there on the Champions Tour, Stephen Alker. You know, a journeyman for all his career. Never did a whole lot. You know, played, played I think, the Nationwide Tour under five different names through the years. But he's really found his game at 50. He's fit. He's ready to go. He's playing great. And he's really uh, become the player to watch out there this year. So, you know, he came back on Sunday. Bernard Longer faltered. And uh, he's kind of uh, the hot news story out there in the Champions Tour. Yeah, and seeing Longer falter is uh, something that really doesn't happen a lot. It's pretty rare. I mean, he played so well in the front nine. And I'm sure, you know, there's a mini Tiger effect on that tour when Longer puts his name up there. He knows how to close and he's very comfortable in the, the biggest heat, but uh, he played terrible on the back. Now he looked, he looked really shaky on some iron shots and, and afterward, you know, he was really candid afterward. I, I give him a lot of credit. He came in and talked about it. He um, says maybe age is getting to be a little bit of a factor, you know, fatigue on the back nine is going to be 65 pretty soon. And, and um, I, I think, you know, it, it, should make us all appreciate what we've been watching with him. He's he's really incredible to be doing what he's doing and contending at at, at nearly sixty five when you know a lot of those guys don't contend past their mid fifties. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, PGA Tour. Once you get a little bit past forty, I mean, it's kind of like can I hang on until I get into the fifty range to play on the senior tour? And uh, you know, it's just one of those things. But speaking of one of those things. The shank that Justin Thomas had on the back nine uh, at Southern Hills uh, had to be uh, something that shocked everybody. And as you covering it, what did you think when that happened? I mean, it's one of those things. You look back and, and what won him the golf tournament, you know, not necessarily finish, which, you know, got him to minus five. But it probably was that bogey he made, right? I mean, he, he hits a cold shank, he hits a tree, he's in a bunker, you know, he's 100-something yards out on a par three and makes four. And those are the things that win golf tournaments for you. Uh, there's so many things, so many dominoes fell for him on Sunday. Um, it was amazing. And, and, you know, he makes a 65-footer on the 11th hole, little things. You know, Mito Pereira helps him out with a double bogey on the last to not even make the playoff. Uh, leaves a putt hanging on the 17th uh, green. Just so many things. It shows you how hard it is to win. And um, But but that bogey he made was all world and those are the little things that, that happen. And it's funny, you know, he went to the next hole, the seventh hole, the long four, and Bones paced off his yardage and lo and behold, the, the club he was about to hand him was the same five iron he just shanked. So, <laughs> oh, gee. Uh, and, and he flagged it, and he had a great shot onto the green. And uh, so it just shows you, you know, the mental toughness you need out there. Uh, you know, they say the hardest shot in golf is the first one after a shank, and he pulled it off quite well. Yeah, and he was pretty emotional about it. I mean, he never really thought that he had a chance being seven strokes back going into Sunday, but... Uh, everybody, you know, kind of dropped back and, you know, he kind of stayed close and uh, ended up obviously winning in a playoff, but uh, he was pretty emotional about it. 
Yeah, and I mean, 67 on Sunday proved to be the, the low round of the day. I think Tommy Fleetwood shot it as well. So it wasn't like he went crazy low, but he just hung around. Um, you know, Bones gave him a good pep talk on Saturday night. He, had, he shot 74, was really hanging his head, and, and, and Bones was trying to make him see the bigger picture. Hey, you're right in this thing. And the thing was, the thing he had on Sunday was the experience. Yeah. He had already won 14 times. He had won a major. A lot of these guys were looking for their first win ever, never mind their first major. Yeah. That was such a huge edge, you know. I mean, you know, I, I think more and more you hear these guys who win realize that they don't have to be perfect out there. They can make mistakes on a final round. As long as they hang in there and, and make some timely, you know, maybe some par saves, keep some momentum and make a putt or two at the end, and you just got to be around. That's the whole key to it. Yeah, just to stay in it, don't shoot yourself out of the tournament. So, Jeff, i got to ask you this. I mean, to be talking about it, it's, it's in the news. It's, it's not necessarily top, but this LIV Tour and the PGA Tour, the battle that they're uh, obviously getting ready to jump into the ring. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I mean, certainly it's interesting, right? I mean, it's... it's um, now, competition usually rise, right? So, you know, I think in certain ways the PGA Tour has answered. They, they realize they need to take care of their their big guns. Um, you know, looking at the field, we don't know if Phil's going to be that last guy that's added to that field right. week in London. But, um, I mean, if that was a tour field, you'd say it's a pretty weak field. Uh, I mean, there's not a lot in there to excite you, certainly – you know, Dustin Johnson being in there raises some eyebrows. Um, and there are some other, you know, established tour guys. And so it's just, it's like this big drama we're watching unfold, right? What's the U.S. Open going to do? Are uh, they going to not let these guys play the U.S. Open? I mean, these guys have, have qualified to play the U.S. Open. So, uh, and, and for the most part, these big governing bodies have kind of stood alongside the PGA Tour, and the PGA Tour has taken a pretty hard stand. So, you know, it's like this drama we're watching unfold. Certainly, it's more golf, which is you think is good for the fan. It's it's got to create a little interest. They're going to play for an awful lot of money, um, but you know, in the end, they just they don't have the horses they need to really make something of that tour yet. Um, but it's early days, so it's uh, it's certainly interesting to watch unfold. Were you surprised with the announcement of DJ and the big $125 million contract? And here's, here's another point. The PGA Tour has drawn a line in the sand. How do you think they should respond e immediately or wait a little bit to see what else happens at that tournament to see, like, maybe if Phil gets in? Or do you think they need to respond, like, right now, draw the line, you've got to make a choice? Yeah, I think if you're the PGA Tour, you have to protect your product and you draw a line now. Uh, you know, you have the uh, – this event will be played opposite the Canadian Open, which is, you know, has a great sponsor in RBC. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you have, you know, I don't know how many tour members are playing over there. Let's say they have upwards of 10 – I don't know what, what the percentage is. But um, that's competing against your product. and. And the one that really gets their attention is when they come to the States. So when this tour plays in Portland and, and other places in the state, I mean, that's a direct shot across the bow at the PGA Tour. So 
I think you have to make a hard stand. You have to make it immediate. Uh, these players have decided that they're going to play for a lot of money. Uh, Dustin Johnson, as opposed to playing for your legacy in the game and, and winning majors and all that. And uh, Am I surprised? I don't know if I'd use the word surprise. I mean, it's an awful lot of money, right? Yeah. He's made $75 million and is on the course in his PGA Tour career, and here's somebody waiting to write a check for more than that just to come on board with with your league. So, I mean, it's a lot of money. It's going to tempt guys, and, and some guys are going to jump at the opportunity. Yeah, um, and I totally agree that I think the PGA Tour needs to respond like this week, uh, if not sooner, uh, that, you know, you've already made your choice, and this is what's going to happen. Pretty big contracts, as you said. Dustin Johnson, $125 million. Some others, Hudson Swafford from here, offered $10 million. Um, I mean, they're throwing big bucks to these guys to play, and, you know, they kind of may look at it as, okay, I got the money. Maybe it's not in the bank, but I've been told that it's coming, and I could retire sooner. Yeah, I mean, these guys have faith. I, I, you know, it's, it's so complex, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. so many different tentacles to it. I mean, Kevin Na is going to play. He's 38 years old. He's got a couple little kids. You're offering, you know, if Hudson Swafford's getting $10 million, maybe Kevin Na at 33 in the world is getting, let's say he gets double that or double right. that. Uh, you know, now and, and you're going to play eight weeks a year. Uh, and you hope to play elsewhere, but I mean, you're going to have a lot more time with your family. You're, you're guaranteed money. You're not fighting to keep a PGA tour card, like a Graham McDowell might at this point in his career. Uh, you know, you have a guaranteed place to play. You have guaranteed money to play for. It's, it's really complex. And, um, and the thing is, it's not going to go away anytime soon because the money's not going away. So as long as these big bucks are being waived. Um, there's going to be temptation to jump. And you know, the first time some, you know, the first time Kevin Na wins a tournament and makes $3.6 million, all these guys that beat him week to week out of there on the PGA tour are certainly going to look at that and say, man, that, that's an awful lot of money. And I, I beat that guy all the time. So yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll see how this plays out. Yeah. And RBC was quick to make a statement when they heard that uh, Dustin and Graham McDowell were going to play. They said, well, we wish them well. And they're obviously, they turned their back on RBC for the tournament in Canada. Uh, I just think that was a pretty strong move by RBC. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to do that. Our, Dustin Johnson's one of their marquee guys. Oh, yeah. right? and part of the uh, understanding when he's, uh, wearing the RBC on his sleeves that he's going to be playing their championship in Canada and showing up in, in uh, to play the Hilton Head. and um, You know, yeah, so it's a trade-off, right? I mean, these guys are trading in deals. Phil Mickelson's turned in deals. You know, he's making $50 million a year off the course, and he's right. willing to trade in those deals. Uh, there must be an awful lot of money on the end of his uh, – pot of gold here for the the Saudi tour because they're they're turning their backs on a lot of money that they've had coming in on these on these deals and um, they're just hopefully trading it for bigger bucks that that's going to be there for a while. Yeah, I heard somebody make a joke that they also offered Patrick Reed a hundred million not to show up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> possibly. <laughs> Uh, were you surprised at the list of the players? Uh, did any, I mean, besides the big announcement about DJ, were you surprised at any 
anything that came out after they released Honestly, the list? Honestly, I was probably more surprised at a Hudson Swafford than a yeah. uh, EJ you know, Dustin Johnson. Um, yeah. A lot of these guys that we expected to jump are in the latter parts of their careers, you know, an Ian Poulter, a Sergio, right, right. You know, Lee Westwood, uh, Rory at one point called it a pre-champion store. It's, it's almost hmm. the case. So, uh, you know, Hudson Swafford is still a guy young enough to play for legacy out there on the PGA tour and yep. good enough game to compete for the majors. So, it's really going to be interesting to see if these guys get knocked out of the majors because, I mean, that that's what, you know, that that's what's going to define you as a golfer. No one's going to walk around 20, 30, 50 years from now and talk about how much money you earn. Uh, they're going to say, oh, D- oh, Dustin Johnson, that guy won, you know, 24 times and he won a major. Right. Uh, certainly, certainly you'd think DJ would have more majors than him, potentially, but um, he, he looks like he's willing to, take that risk and uh, forego that. So that's how these guys will end up being defined. Well, it looks like just based on the way the lines are being drawn, money being thrown, uh, you know, decisions being made, you got to make a choice that uh, this may end up in a court battle. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think both, both sides are ready for that. I mean, like we said, I mean, if you're, if you're Phil Mickelson, you've earned your way quote-unquote, into the U.S. Open next week. Uh, so if they tell you you couldn't play it, what are the grounds? Um, right. So it is interesting. Yeah, I think it, it, I think it's definitely bound for, you know, uh, court courtrooms. And, yeah, you know, these guys, quote-unquote, they're independent contractors. Well, not really. I mean, they are and they aren't. They're members of a tour. They... They need to play 15 times. I mean, that's not real independent. You, and at the end of the year, you get a nice little bonus check into your, uh, into the best retirement fund in sports. So, uh, I'm an independent contractor. I don't have anyone tell me at the end of the year they've tucked 250 grand into my 401k. <laughs> so, you know, I, I always take the independent contractor thing. You know, yeah, you can play where you want, kind of, but, uh, your only independent contractors uh, with an asterisk on it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, is that we really don't know what the bottom line or the small print is in all these contracts that they've signed with the PGE Tour. We don't know some of those things. Uh, so I think, obviously, it's going to get into a court. How long that would last, uh, it's up to anybody's guess on that. Uh, but it sure won't be a matter of who's going to throw more money at it because they're both going to throw as much as they need to to protect what they have. Yeah, you have to, right? You have to dig in the sand and go. And, I mean, if you're at the PGA Tour and you have a rival tour that wants to play in the U.S., you better fight it, and they will. And um, and, and the other you know, the other side is going to have as much money as they ever need to, yeah. to throw at it. So it's, it's just, right, it's an interesting battle for us to sit on the sideline and see how it goes. Um, but, I mean, certainly now that an LIV tour doesn't have the, the ponies it needs to really fly and get worldwide attention as some great alternate tour. So that's still a long ways off. Yeah, Dustin's wife will probably get more publicity going over there than he will. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) One last question. What do you think Phil's going to do? I mean, do you think he'll show up next week? I know it's a guess, but what are your thoughts? Think he'll show up? Do you think he'll play in the LIV? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think one of the interesting things with Phil is 
no one has spotted him, right? It's not like he spotted uh, some, you know, he used to hit balls at Callaway, for instance. I know that deal's uh, on hold, but right. uh, even in local courses around there, you'd see Phil out playing and practicing. There's other tour guys out there. Nobody's seen Phil, so uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, he's eligible to play the U.S. Open as well. I mean, if you're that competitively rusty, do you show up and try to play a U.S. Open? And, and wherever he goes, he drops this huge, you know, anchor on somebody's doorstep. Do you do that to the USGA? Maybe part of me says he might enjoy that. But yeah. I don't know. So who knows when we're going to see Phil. I think he has a he has a lot of things to sort out. I think in the end he's really going to regret the way he's done this. And, um and it's sad, really, because at fifty-one and as the PGA champion, he could have such a such a better legacy right now. Yeah, you got it, Jeff. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. I appreciate your time, and uh, hope to see you soon on another fam trip. Yeah, let's do it. Let's okay. It up. All right. Appreciate it, Jeff Babinbo. Always a pleasure to talk with him. Um, and uh, he and I have been on a couple of fam trips uh, around the country. Uh, he's just a great guy to play golf with, and a great guy to travel with. Next guest is Georgia Southern's golf coach, Carter Collins. Uh, but first, who has the best deep dish pizza? Well, to me, there's only one choice, and it's CJ's Italian restaurant across from Parker's on Mallory Street right here on the island. Uh, CJ's makes their deep dish and thin crust pizza every day from scratch. Also, their homemade salad dressings, meatballs, and their famous hoagies. They've also got great appetizers, pasta dishes, beer wine, it's just a great place to go. Open every day at 4.30. Check out their full menu at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Graham and Ada do a great job, and so does their staff. cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Webb Simpson, PGA Tour. You're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And I'm Rich Stiles. Welcome back. Carter Collins uh, is the golf coach at Georgia Southern, has been for the last eight seasons, been with the team for 15 and he is with us for a few minutes. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing great. How are you all? Doing wonderful. All right, tell us about the uh, Georgia Southern season just completed. How was it? Oh, boy, it was, uh, it was a roller coaster season, as most of them are at times. Um, so, you know, college golf is split up into two, two seasons. We play uh, a group of tournaments in the fall and a group of tournaments in the spring, and then we play our championships in the spring as well. Uh, fall counts just as much as spring, and uh, we played four events. Um, didn't play our best in a few of them, and then we we went to ETSU's event, which was our last event of the fall, and played very well in a tough field, finished fourth, gave us some good momentum in the spring. Um, Mason Williams came back from injury in the spring, and a few of our other guys had some tremendous uh, off-seasons working hard um, they had a great spring. They won four times, uh, had a awesome. couple other close calls for wins, um, finished runner-up at conference, and then uh, made regionals as an at-large, which is always a, a badge of honor for the, for the boys. Obviously, we sure. wanted to win conference and get the automatic qualifier, but um, they they had a good enough season overall to to make regionals as an at-large and, and then punched our ticket to nationals at regionals and had a great week at national so uh you know you always believe in your guys and always believe in your team but it was definitely a, a big roller coaster to get to where we did in arizona last week from where we were in the fall 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, you just have a great bunch of kids, uh, obviously, playing golf, working hard. Uh, let's go back a little bit. Talk to me a little about what happened as far as team dynamics uh, when you were affected uh, by the COVID situation in 2020. COVID did have a, a big impact on our roster. Um, NCAA um, allowed everybody that was affected by COVID to have an extra year of eligibility. So that, that helped Jake Maples and Brett Barron uh, stay an extra year, which kind of delayed our um, team turnover a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it was great. We loved having uh, Jake and Brett. They were incredible players and captains and the whole nine yards. Um, so then when we started this year, um, there was a little bit, you know, Jake and Brett had been in the lineup so far, so long, there was a little bit of shock to the system for some of the guys to be in the lineup um, so quick because we needed them to be. Right. Because uh, two big holes were there. Um, so COVID definitely contributed to some of that, or the COVID policies and protocols contributed to that. Um, luckily, in general, uh, COVID was a much better thing this past fall and spring than it was um, protocol-wise in the year before on the guys. It, it was It got pretty hard there for a little bit, um, testing and worrying and trying to figure out if you're going to be able to travel or not and then if you know all the things that come from that but um the roster turnover or lack thereof was definitely something that we had to handle and deal with and we'll have to for another year moving forward yeah and how does the team look for uh, your upcoming season um it'll look very similar to how they did this year um all 10 guys are returning and we're adding Two great players, two great kids. Parker Claxton from Claxton, Georgia, uh, son of the local legend down there at St. Simon's, Paul Claxton. You betcha. Um, yes, sir. And, and Hayden Carner, uh, originally from Birmingham, Alabama. He's a two-time first-team All-American junior college uh, player from Central Alabama. We're very excited to add his um, experience. And um, Both are great kids, great students, and um, so the team will look very similar to how it did this year, just plus a new couple new faces. All right, so you've got 10. You're adding two. How do you make the traveling team? Do you guys do competitions, and uh, and based on those competitions, you pick what you think are going to be the best five? It's a great question. So we start the year uh, through strictly competition and how to make the lineup. Um, I think that's the best way because it gives the guys a, a big opportunity to work hard during the summer to find some stuff, and um, and we give everybody an opportunity in the fall um, to make the lineup based on scores and qualifying, which is just inter-squad competition at the best golf courses we can find near Statesboro. Uh, we try and set it up like a tournament, and you know the lowest scores go. Um, then as you move throughout the season, you start getting data on how the guys are playing in tournaments, um, who's qualifying well, who's playing tournaments well. Uh, you still give opportunities to the guys uh, to find the way in the lineup based on score, but you also have a few spots in there um, for coaches to make decisions on based on not only how they're playing and qualifying, but how they're playing on the road, how this golf course will fit them. Um, you know, it, most coaches do it the exact same way, but we, we definitely try to sprinkle in a little more competition than most programs to give the guys a, an equal opportunity to play. 
So when you're selecting based on scores and you're selecting maybe based on the golf course, how does it fit this guy or this guy, what are some other characteristics, Coach, that you're looking for as far as uh, you know, making sure that they'll have good chemistry on the team? Another good question. Um, <laughs> they, they spend a lot of time with each other in the van uh, going to the tournaments. They spend a lot of time with each other at dinners. They spend a lot of time with each other in hotel rooms. Um, I mean, this is – chemistry is a, a very important part of what we yeah. do because yeah. if you've got five guys that don't get along or even just one guy that, that really doesn't want to get along with his teammates, it can bring everything down. So – um, I think that starts in the recruiting process and getting guys that want to be a part of a team and that want to be coachable and that want to get through tough situations um, in a very mature way um, and have some resiliency. And I think, you know, if if we get lucky in recruiting and get some guys like that, I think some of that takes care of itself and you don't have to worry about that so much um, picking uh, for tournaments. But it's definitely a concern and definitely something that we keep an eye on uh, throughout the tournament and you know if, if a guy's a great teammate and he pushes his teammates no matter how he's playing that definitely will benefit him um, moving forward if he's uh, a 50-50 coach's pick right gotcha well, we had a chance uh, uh, this week I had some friends in town from uh, North Carolina and we had a chance to play out at Frederica and uh, Ian Glackton and Parker Claxton showed up to uh, uh, round out our foursome so to speak uh, very very nice kids with some great talent. Yes, sir. Ian is uh, just finished his freshman campaign with us this year. Uh, he's from Metter, Georgia. I uh, went to Metter High School, and Ian's an absolutely fantastic young man, hardworking, um, manners through the roof. Um, yep. Great talent, great player, um, multi-time state champion. And then Parker will be a freshman for us this fall. And as I said, you know, son of the, the legend Paul Claxton. And, um, but Parker's doing great making his own name. Um, and he's – him and Ian are very close friends. They're, very, they're funny when they get around each other. Yep. Um, good chemistry between those two. And I'm excited to see what they can do together. Well, Ian wanted me to ask you, because I saw him again yesterday at Seaside, Ian wanted me to ask you, who's the best lefty on the team? <laughs> you know, far and away, Ian Glanton. <laughs> Because I mean, he is the only one, right? <laughs> he is currently the only left. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is. He's something else. Uh, he is. He's, he shows up to work every day with a great attitude and works his tail off. Yeah, I was impressed with Parker and Ian, both of them so polite, so nice. I mean, every question you asked, I mean, uh, you know, both of them just, yes, sir, yes, sir. I mean, I, they were just a delight to play with, um, and they had never met any of us although I had played in a pro-am with Parker's dad up at the Rex Hospital Open several years ago and was just impressed by his demeanor and the way that he carried himself. Yes, sir. Um, and you, this had nothing to do with the recruiting process or, or me wanting Parker to come play at Georgia Southern. Um, but I, I do have a, you know, a history with, with Parker's dad. Um, yep. I was 15, 16. I was from Claxton, or still from Claxton, but... Um, I never played any courses outside the local area. You know, the Metter, uh, Claxton, we'd go to Savannah every now and then, but never played any, quote-unquote, you know, really nice resort courses, and I didn't know what those were all about. 
until Mr. Paul um, treated me like a, a nephew, I guess, and he would take me and go play these places and, you know, Seaside and Secession, and we would play, and I would just, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> and I couldn't believe how nice these places were, and we'd go play, and um, he did that for me for quite a few years. Um, and, I, you know, it helped me progress as a player because it helped me get adapted to some bigger courses and that, you know, college events were played on. And um, I owe a lot to, to him and um, very thankful that I, that I met Mr. Paul many years ago. He's been very great, very great to me, and I'm, I'm glad I, I get to coach his son now for four years. It's going to be pretty special. Yeah, because you'll probably be seeing more of uh, Paul just trying to watch his son who played, as I said, played yesterday. They, they were just a delight. Coach, we've got to take a quick break, but we're going to be back with uh, Coach Carter Collins from Georgia Southern right after this on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Steve Melnick, I used to play on the uh, PGA Tour, spent 26 years on the broadcast end of it, and now I look forward to being on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're on the phone with uh, Coach Carter Collins from Georgia Southern. And, Coach, one of the things that I kind of asked Parker and Ian when we played together the other day was – how good of a golfer are you? And they both said he's got game. Uh, they're uh, they're kissing tail. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't around. I mean, they were just. I mean, they were saying, "Hey, coach, coach can play." Um, you know, he beats us. Maybe not on a regular basis, but you know, they said you got game. Well, I. Appreciate them saying that. They must be looking for an extra sleeve of balls in the fall or something. <laughs> uh, it's, That's uh, funny. I don't, I don't play much anymore. Um, you know, there was a time when I, I played a good bit, and you know how you know strange this game can be. And oh, you yeah. stop playing and as much, and just not as sharp as anything. But I do love to compete. I still miss that part of it tremendously. Um, you know, fighting for win, you know, head to head or or a tournament or something with five or six holes to go. Yeah. You, you can't beat that. But I, I do still enjoy that just as much as I ever have, but um, just don't have as much time, or I don't dedicate as much time to, to play and practice as I used to. All right. One of the questions that now comes up more often than it used to is, how do you, as the golf coach for Georgia Southern, work with some of the coaches that these kids in high school have already gotten uh, does that become an issue, or is that something that really helps you as far as know where they are um, in their game at that time when they come and start playing for you? Well, that's another great question. Um, it definitely helps. Um, you know, I'm not a swing instructor. Never have tried to be. I don't pretend to be. Um, I trust the professionals. And how it looks most of the time is they have a swing instructor they've had during their junior career, and I encourage them, you know, if they're happy with them and they're making great progress and the swing instructor's doing their job, you know, communicating and supporting, then I want them to keep that person as the lead instructor for their golf swing. And then on the back end, I can communicate with the swing instructor if needed and find out what's going on, how can I help, you know, what are some things I need to be looking out for, um, and we can kind of work together. But um, definitely not a friction area uh, by any means. Um, You know, I I see it as a positive. I want them to keep their swing instructor as long as they can um, or as long as they're happy with them, um, and then I support them on the back end. So what if they're not happy with them? What if, uh, you know, you see some things that 
even though you're not an instructor or trying to be, but you are their coach, and you may see some things that maybe this guy that was teaching them doesn't see. Do you recommend maybe they look at something else or look at somebody else, or do you kind of step in at that point? I know that's probably two or three questions in one. but No, I, I got you. Um, I definitely think there's a conversation that happens organically that comes up, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel fine offering advice on it, but I can't make decisions on it for them. Um, there are so many great instructors out there, but as you know, there's, there's instructors that are right for you. And the biggest piece of that, in my opinion, is the one that can relate to the player the best, communicate right. with the player the best, right. and let them know exactly what they need to work on so that they don't need to come back every week. Um, and, you know, sometimes there aren't good fits. I agree. And, you know, we, we kind of sit down and go over it and we kind of put all the options on the table and, um, and see if we can find one that's a good communication fit. And typically there's one out there. I mean, these guys all know all the great swing coaches, especially in the Southeast. And, right. Um, so it's not hard for them to find one, but finding one that's a great fit is, is the hardest part. And, when they do find that person, I encourage them to keep them as long as they can. Well, all these golfers, a lot of them, and a lot of the successful ones have teams. I mean, they got a mental coach, they got a strength coach, they got a, yes, a chemistry coach, a you know, swing coach, putting coach. I mean, that's a lot of people on a team that you kind of have to blend into a little circle to kind of keep these kids growing and improving their game. Yes, sir, I agree. Um, and I think, for me, this is where being – being dumb is a as a positive. You know, I'm I have a hard time with being great at any of those things you just named. Right. Um, I'm just I'm here to help support the player from an academic standpoint, making sure they have everything they need. Um, definitely from a tournament standpoint, you know, learning how to play tournament golf at a at a, at a better rate and uh, how to get more out of your practice because your time is a little dwindled in college because you got tests and meetings and everything. Um, but uh, in general, if they come in with those coaches, whether it be mental or swing or whatever, I want them to keep them. And then I try and tie everybody together so they're all on the same page, pushing in the same direction. And I think that's a very important part of it. Yeah, that's a big challenge for you, Coach, because you've got 12 kids on the team who could possibly have 12 different swing coaches. So communication, most importantly, chemistry, really plays into that so you can keep them moving forward and you – have your best team that you can have. I agree, but I feel like if you care, all of that's easy. Yeah. And if you care about the person and not the player, I think all of that takes care of itself. Um, and if you start thinking, how can this player benefit me or how can this player benefit the program, Right. I think that's when, that's when it gets tough to tie all that stuff together because your heart's not in it. Um, but I, I truly care about these guys first and, you know, what they accomplish on the golf course is just secondary. Um, and I feel like, you know, if you, if you care about them, all that takes care of itself. Well, I love your heart. I love your passion. I love the way you talk about your kids and uh, the way that you get behind them. Uh, I just think it's great. And you're always uh, one of the best interviews that we have because you're just upfront and honest. And I love it. So, Coach, thanks for being with us. I appreciate the time, Rich, always. And um, appreciate the great questions. And Happy to come back whenever you need me. Well, you know I'll do it, and I owe you a visit. I told you the last time that I would come up and visit, and I didn't do it. So I'm gonna, I'm, I am gonna do it this year. We're ready when you are. We'd love to show you around. All right, I'd love to be there. Thanks.
Coach Carter Collins with Georgia Southern, one of the good guys out there that's trying to help these kids get better. And thank you for being with us on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Heard every Saturday and Sunday right here from 8 to 9 on ESPN Coastal. To the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rick Stiles. Go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com.